Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives and today we have an amazing guest. We have Kayleen and she is the founder of Lexington Event Company. Kayleen, please introduce yourself to our guests. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Kaylin Query, and I am with Lexington Event Company and Lex Effect Venues. So we are based in Lexington, Kentucky in the United States, and um, anything in the event and hospitality world, we cover. So um, conferences, trade shows, festivals, weddings, you name it, any kind of event uh, we are a part of. And we do this across the country. Um, from the planning and promotion side, but then we also have four venues in Central Kentucky that we own and operate that um, folks will rent from us and then they'll have their own event there. So sometimes we're involved in the planning process with that. Sometimes we're not. It just depends on the client and the circumstance, um, but we kind of get to see a wide variety of events, hundreds of events sometimes a year, and it's a lot of fun. So I started when I was 14 on accident. I um, wanted to be an interior designer, and I had an internship through my high school. I went the first day, and the woman was older, and she was told by the owner she had to have this intern. And um, I couldn't drive. So my mom dropped me off and, you know, I wasn't in design school, so I couldn't do any real work for them. I was more just kind of watching, you know, I'm sure now as someone who takes those interns, I get it's a lot of work having interns and sometimes it's more work than what it's worth. So I understand why she wouldn't want to do that, but she wasn't the most friendly person about it. So I went back to school and told the professor that I was not going to go back <laughs> and that he needed to move me somewhere else. So he moved me to a catering company and I really liked it and started working for them part time on the side after school and learned all the ins and outs of catering and events and setup and breakdown and booking and marketing and everything. So I started doing events on the side and never thought it would be a career, but really enjoyed it. Um, and here we are. So I, I managed a couple of restaurants when I was in college and out of college. And then when one of them closed uh, around the same time, my mom's accountant who was doing my taxes said that I had made too much money. I'd reached the threshold of being able to be exempt from taxes. So I needed to create a business just for tax purposes. Um, you know, said, so don't think about it. Don't spend a lot of time on it. Just get the tax ID, be done with it. And of course, I live in the mindset of go big or go home. So I didn't just get a tax ID, but you know, figured if I had made enough money to need a business and I, there was no website at the time, no business name, no business cards, no nothing. It was just pure referrals, word of mouth, calling my house phone, calling my cell phone. So if I could, if I had made too much money doing it that way with no promotion, then what could I do with this if I actually promoted it and gave it my all? And here we are. That's an amazing story. And I think a lot of uh, our audience can really understand and relate to that, where you start something and you become really passionate about it. But how do you get the confidence to be like, look, I can do this and I can become a business owner? How did you make that leap? Part of it was just kind of blind faith um, you know, and kind of jumping over the edge. You know, I think as entrepreneurs, some of us are crazy. Most of us are crazy, you know, and part of it is just taking the leap and, and going for it. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Um, now, there's a calculated way to do that so that you're not just flailing in the wind. But 
Uh, it took a lot of practice and a lot of time and a lot of work building my confidence. You know, I knew that I knew how to produce events. I knew I was good at it. I knew that I had more experience than most people older than me, let alone anyone my age. But I've always been younger than everyone that I'm, I'm working with. So I've always struggled with that. Um, you know, normally you're working with a lot of men. So sometimes there's a struggle with that. So, you know, I knew I was confident in my ability, but I wasn't always great at, at expressing that confidence to people. So I had to work very hard in the way that I talked to people, the way that I presented myself, the way that I communicated, you know, emails, presentations, et cetera. I had to work hard to to be confident externally like I was internally. And there's still times where things come up and I kind of think like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I'm qualified for that. I don't know if I'm good enough for that. I don't know if I have enough time. Um, so I have to constantly kind of, you know, work through that. I have a therapist that I spend a lot of time with, friends from church, you know, business coaches, uh, other people in my industry, other business owners. I mean, I try to have a large network of people that I can bounce ideas off of, sometimes just kind of vent or complain. <laughs> you know, some people are there for encouragement. You know, you got to have all of those people. Um, and sometimes I need people to tell me no as well. Sometimes I get a, an idea in my head and it sounds really good to me, but in reality, it's not a great idea. So I also need those people that say, hey, let's reel this back a little bit and slow down. Let's take our time. So, you know, it's, it's always a work in progress. Um, it's really amazing that you say that because I think you touched on a lot of the issues that as an early entrepreneur we can face. Um, issues of like confidence. And it's great that you say that you actually took steps to work on the things that you felt like, look, this will improve um, my confidence. And also being part of a community, uh, the importance of that. Well, it's unfortunate that your first mentorship didn't go that well, but it sounds like you also found a lot of great mentors along the way. How can yes. someone find a mentor? You're an early entrepreneur. You don't know anyone who's in business. You just are starting up, but you know you need people around you. How can you go about finding a mentor and how do you approach one? So um, you just have to ask. I When I first started, someone gave me a piece of advice that I needed to have yes people and no people. So you have to have people that encourage you and are your cheerleaders, but you also have to have people that say, this is too much, or I don't think you have this idea fully formed, maybe step back a little bit, or I don't think you have the time or the money or the whatever. So you've got to have people that support you and cheer you on no matter what. And you've got to have the people that say, pump the brakes and walk away. Um, more than that, you know, you with, with mentors and boards and all of that, you want to have people from all different backgrounds. So for me, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. Um, but I also wanted people around me who are good at the things I'm good at and people who are good at the things I'm not good at. So for my kind of board or mentor group, I had an attorney, an accountant, someone in real estate, someone in marketing, someone in events. Um, you know, I tried to get men and women um, of all ages, of all backgrounds, of all ethnicities, because I am a 30 something white female who's lived in the same city she's lived in for her entire life. My experiences are a certain set of experiences, but my guests attending my events are not all 30 year old white women who have lived in the same city their whole lives. If I want 
wide groups of people to attend my events and to hire me. I need to be able to reach those people and to market to those people and to create something that they would want to come to. So I needed a diverse group of people to guide me and to bounce ideas off of and to help me. You know, I don't know anything about law. I've learned a lot along the way, but I'm not an attorney. So I needed an attorney that I could bounce things off of. Um, obviously, fees and things come with that as well. But, you know, you, you have to build your group to support the things that you do and don't know. Additionally, I need people, obviously, in my circle who do what I do because sometimes you need to get feedback and advice and vent about things related and specific to your industry. But there's always the concern, how do I get a mentor in my industry if they feel like I'm a competitor or I'm going to be you know, asking them competitive questions or proprietary questions. So I am, like I said, I'm based in Kentucky. So I reached out to a um, the president of a, an event company in Colorado, which is on the other side of the country. And um, I have family out there. We have, we have businesses out there. So I spend a lot of time out there, but I don't live there. I don't produce a lot of events, some now, but not a ton. And I don't do any kind of events like they do. So they produce fun runs and 5Ks and things of that nature. And I'm only running if a bear is chasing me. <laughs> 5Ks and fun runs are not my thing. Um, so I, I'm not a competitor. I will never you know, ever produce those kinds of events. Um, but they, they are doing amazing things and they produce some pretty well-known races and runs and they do it all over the country. And they started as a small little company in the back of someone's garage in Colorado. And, you know, now they're this massive multi-country operation. So I looked him up on the internet, asked my uncle who lives in Colorado, if he had any connections to him, he did not. Um, I found his email through a cyber stalking situation from LinkedIn and everything else. And I sent him an email and I said, his name is Jeff. And I said, hey, Jeff, uh, my name's Kaylin. I have started an event management company in Kentucky. Here's what we do. I'm not a competitor. I'm just starting out. And I was wondering if you would be my mentor. And my hope would be that once a month or once every other month, maybe we could schedule a call for an hour. I'll send you questions and topics in advance that I am working on or have issues with or whatever. And maybe you could share some advice. Maybe you could just listen. Um, you know, what do you say? And sure enough, he responded and said, absolutely, I'd love to. So for a long time, we emailed back and forth. And then um, I went out to Colorado shortly after that uh, to see family and told him I was coming out, asked if we could meet. And sure enough, we met in this little dive bar in Louisville, Colorado, and we sat for hours and he talked about everything. He talked about getting started and mistakes he made and things he would go back and do differently and things that I should do and shouldn't do. And I mean, some advice that still to this day I follow. Um, and it was great. We're not competitors, so I'm not taking any proprietary information. But I think a lot of times as mentees, we get nervous about asking someone to help us. But people typically are flattered that they're being asked because if you're being asked to be someone's mentor, it means that they feel that you are smart enough, that you are experienced enough, that you are high enough up, that you should be a mentor. Um, so it's, it's an honor to do it. Now, you know, I always get very flattered when people ask me for that. 
Um, but what you want to keep in mind, obviously, is being respectful of their time and their capacity. You know, I made it very clear up front. I was not going to take more than one hour a month. I would send everything in advance so he had time to look at it. And I kept it to an hour to the minute. I mean, I did not go over that hour time. So, you know, it's it's not more than what he could commit to. I'm not asking to call every day. And I'm not local. So we it's not like I can just show up at your office. Um, but I think setting the parameters and the expectations up front, being respectful of their time, but just asking. I mean, the worst someone can do is say no. And then I'm no better off or worse off than I was before. But he said yes. It's great that you broke that down because sometimes we get afraid to ask for mentorship because we feel like we're being a bother. But like you said, if you set those parameters and it's not asking too much and you're respectful of the other person's time, that's really great. You said it's important to have a group of yes people and a group of no people. How then do you balance like... No, because they say, trust your gut, trust your instinct, and go with that. How do you know? Because if you're early in entrepreneurship, maybe your gut isn't yet that sophisticated to be able to go through some of these things. How do you balance, you know, just being proud of, of the things you know and the things you think you know, and actually taking in what people are saying, and also being strong enough to go with what you think is right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's a fine line. It's like walking a tightrope. And to be honest, I mean, some of the best entrepreneurs, they they got to be the best because they made mistakes and they learned from those mistakes. Um, I have made a lot of mistakes. And I'm not saying I'm the best entrepreneur by any means, but I have made a lot of mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes with financial things, with legal things, with ideas that I thought were great that were terrible you know, and, and that's just part of the deal. I mean, I think entrepreneurs by nature take risks and, um, you know, it's high risk, but high reward potentially. So I think you have to have people in your corner that you trust your yes people and your no people have to be people that you trust, because if you don't trust them, then you're not really going to listen to what they're saying. And your yes people, your yes people aren't necessarily advising you on what it is you're wanting to do. So if I have a new event concept, my yes people aren't telling me how to do it or talking me through it. They're just cheering me on. You can do it. This is going to be great. You are so good at what you do. You know, they're your cheerleaders. Your no people are the ones that say, you know, you're saying that you've got a budget of 10,000, but this doesn't sound like you could do it for 10,000. And have you looked into this event that's very similar to that one? And, um, you know, what venue are going to use? Because we don't really have anything like that in this city. You know, your no people are really talking you through the details that you may not have thought about. So if nothing more, it helps you kind of check off all those boxes of your due diligence to make sure that you really have vetted this opportunity. Now, here's the thing. If you're like me, you're probably stubborn. And even if you're no people say it's not a good idea, there's a chance you're still going to do it anyways. So, you know, you have to kind of figure that out. But but after a couple of times of doing that, if it doesn't work well, you figure out quickly that, you know, that's not the best approach. But sometimes if you feel it in your gut, you've got to go for it. And if nothing else, I believe everything is a learning opportunity. So the the times where we had events that failed or processes that failed or whatever, we have learned something very valuable from all of that. And there are things that they changed the way our company operated. They changed the way I do business. 
Um, they've helped me become successful, more successful. Uh, and they're mistakes that I won't make twice. So, you know, even if you do stumble and fall, no matter how many times you stumble and fall, there's it always is an opportunity to learn something so that you don't make that mistake again. But that's also why you have your no people, because they're going to think of questions and, and concerns that you might not be thinking about because you're so tunnel vision focused on this concept or this idea that you're excited about and you can't see anything else. So it's just nice to have those people. It's great that you say that because I think the no people are undervalued and they're very, very important to avoiding a lot of, you know, because you can't see everything. One person right. can't see every aspect of everything. So making an idea have to fight for its right to come into existence helps you through those no people. Helene, you have an absolutely impressive bio. A small business owner, you're a serial entrepreneur, you're a writer, you're a speaker, you're a consultant, you're a board member, and you're active in your chamber of commerce, among many other things. How are you doing it all? Well, I mentioned earlier that I am crazy. Um, you know, I it, it took me a long time to, I've always been busy. Uh, I think when I first started my business, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs suffer from this, I think it's the mindset that the busier you are, the more successful you are. And that's not necessarily true. You can be really busy, but you could be making no money because you're booking meetings with people that, you know, don't matter in the grand scheme of what you're trying to do, or you overschedule yourself. So you never have time to actually produce the product or the service that you're pitching to everybody, or, you know, you're so wrapped up in selling, you know, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why someone's over busy in a non-productive way. So it took me a long time to really figure out what was conducive to my time and what is not conducive to my time. Um, so I really had to scale back the things that I would agree to be involved in. You know, I ask a lot more questions now. If someone wants to me to be on a board or they want me to be on a committee or help with something or whatever, there are a lot of questions and information that I need in order to make that decision. On top of that, you know, I... I want to make sure that it's a conducive use of my time, which doesn't always mean money. You know, is there a connection I can make? Am I serving my community? Is this something that brings me joy? You know, is it going to make me money? I mean, one or more of these things needs to be part of the deal in order for this to be worth my time. So figuring out what those things are and agreeing to that and then getting rid of everything else has really helped me be able to properly put forth my best effort with everything I agree to do. More than that, I time block. So I set aside in a, you know, if you look at a five day week or a seven day week, I map out typically on Sundays, I map out what days of the week am I working on this company? And what day of the week am I working on the next company? And what day am I doing interviews? And what day is a self-care day? Um, I'm currently in school to get my MBA because I'm not busy enough. So I decided to add that to the list. So what days am I working on school? You know, I try to time block it out. Now, sometimes you can't have a whole day dedicated to one thing. But if my day is split, I'll say, OK, from, you know, from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., I'm answering emails. And then from 10 a.m. to, you know, 2 p.m., I'm meeting with clients and then from four to, you know, whatever time, you know, I'll block it out. I leave time in between for last minute stuff, eating meals, 
Um, you know, you got to take some breaks, uh, errands, things like that. But that has really helped me focus on what I need to get done instead of this long list of to do's that are overwhelming. And then you never really get anything accomplished or toggling back and forth between so many things that you're confused about what you're doing. Blocking it out has really helped me say, okay, I'm going to get as much as I can done for this thing from this time to this time. And then I'm not coming back to it until later today or three days from now or whatever. And I, you know, part of that is setting realistic expectations with the people that you're working with, whether it's your clients, board members, colleagues, et cetera. I, I try to always respond to people within 24 hours, but I let them know I've got a packed week. So I'm going to get to you, but it won't be until Friday or it's going to be Monday or I'll get to you in the next two weeks or whatever. Um, you know, I just want to acknowledge that I received their message and I'm not ignoring them. And sometimes I don't have much going on, believe it or not. So sometimes I just immediately respond and it's fine. But there are times where the weeks are crazy or the days are crazy. So, you know, I try to set realistic expectations for them on my ability to respond, address it, get them what they need, etc., which has helped. It's really important. And I'm glad you touched on it because it sounds like when you manage your time well, or you at least try to put structures in place, you avoid a lot of the insanity that can happen with entrepreneurship, as well as just being in control of your time rather than things kind of controlling you through time. Yeah. And how important that is. Thank you for touching on that. Haley, what has been the biggest challenge and that you faced as a small business owner and you know, starting out young up to now? Yeah. Um, oh gosh, I have a long list. Um, you know, I think the hardest part would, it would be twofold. One, when you're a small business, especially starting out, normally you don't have a lot of money. You don't have a lot of time. Um, you know, and, and even if you have a bunch of investors, you never get as much money as you actually need. You do your budget, you do your prospectus, your P and L, you've got your projections. You always end up needing more money. Always. Something comes up. You know, you need a license you didn't think you needed, or you need insurance you didn't think you needed, or you've got to get your product tested and you weren't expecting it or whatever. So you always need more money. And I think when you're a small business starting out or an entrepreneur, you try to save as much money as possible and do a lot of these things yourself. And I found the hard way that that ends up hurting you more than it helps you. And you actually end up spending two or three times what you would have spent had you just paid for it on the front end. Um, you know, in the very beginning, I did not have an attorney draft up contracts. I did it myself. I don't know anything about contracts. I do now, but I didn't when I started. So I ended up putting ourselves in positions where we were in the middle of some pretty contentious battles with people about contract terms and because I didn't have an attorney, you know, it got me deeper and deeper and deeper into this hole and cost me a lot of money because eventually I had to hire an attorney to work these things out. Now, we ended up getting it worked out, but I mean, tens of thousands of dollars later and a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of lost sleep. So I think figuring out on the front end, your CPA, your taxes, that's important. Um, you know, legal, anything legal, that's important. HR and payroll and employee relations, if you have staff, that's important. There are certain things that you cannot cut corners on. So getting that lined out on the front end 
saves so much time and so much money and so much headache. The other piece of that is I was very bad, uh, but kind of going back to the the topic earlier about doing all these things, I was very bad about taking a break and some self-care and me time. You know, you're, you're starting out. So you, you want to take all the business and all the sales that you can possibly manage one, because you need the money probably. And two, because you're new. And so you're trying to get your name out there, but Typically for small businesses and entrepreneurs, that means you're working seven days a week, 24 hours a day, nonstop. And yes, that's part of the deal. As an owner of a business, you're always working. You're never really off. But I was, I mean, there would be stretches of, of months where I would go 40, 50, 60, 90 days with no day off. And at the time, I was thinking like, wow, look at this. I'm getting all this done. I've had 90 days with no day off. And it was almost kind of like a, a feather in my own hat for myself. But in the end, I mean, it was, I, I was, I mean, I put myself in the hospital twice um, for just pure exhaustion and dehydration. And, and I just, I wasn't having fun after years of doing it. I wasn't having fun anymore and I lost my reason for why I started these businesses in the first place. So now part of my time blocking is making sure that I have at least one or two days a week that I do not work on things. I do not answer emails. I do not go on tours, no client visits, no nothing. I could sit on the couch all day. It doesn't matter, but I'm not doing anything work related. I take regular trips. I like to travel. Well, before COVID, I like to travel a lot. So I take a couple of international trips a year, a lot of domestic trips throughout the year. Um, and, and it could be a four day, three day something. But I told myself once a month, I would go somewhere. So it could be going to another city in Kentucky where I live, or it could be going to another state across the country, or it could be going to another country for a 10 day stretch or something. Um, but once a month, I was going to go somewhere, unplug, relax, explore and have fun. That's what brings me joy, traveling and being outside and exploring other cities and countries. So being able to do that every so often and unplug from work lets me come back refreshed, excited, um, and then I'm not so angry and I'm not, I'm, I'm better, I'm better for myself. I'm better for my clients. I'm better for the team. So I think when you're first starting out, sometimes you forget that you need to take care of yourself too, because you can't pour from an empty cup and it's, it's hard to do in the beginning. You know, there's such a grind and hustle, hustle culture where it's almost like you take pride in not sleeping and you take pride in, yeah. you know, not paying any attention to yourself and just yeah. being at work. And really it's to your detriment in the long run to yeah. do that. But a lot of times as an entrepreneur, you feel like, you know, the world's going to fall apart if you stop. And exactly. It's not. You do. Now you do feel like that. And I think right now we glorify overworking, especially in America. We glorify and we put on a pedestal the more you work and the harder you work and the more time you spend, the more successful you are. But that's not necessarily true. And so what it results in is all these people working nonstop and then no one's having any fun. You know, and like you said, to your detriment, you are overrun and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're sick. So it's great that you mentioned how you put self-care to the forefront, because if you can do that with all the things that you juggle, it's, you know, it's a testament to the fact that 
everybody has time for self-care and self-care should be mandatory. Yes. How did, you, how did you decide to go specifically into the event uh, business? Is it because of the work that you were, from your experience, or did you just feel like it was a, a talent that you had or someone something someone suggested to you? How did you get around to that point? After the internship, I started doing it on the side, and I really enjoyed it. I was good at it. Um, I'm, I'm very organized. I'm a little bossy, um, which you need in event management. Um, I'm very type A. And, um, you know, it was just something that I enjoyed doing. So I just kept doing it on the side, but I never thought it would be a career. Um, I did it through college. Um, I did it after college. And then to be honest, the only reason that I'm still doing it is because the restaurant that I was managing was closing and I didn't want to move to one of the other sister concepts. So, uh, I kind of went for it and and took a leap of faith, but um, you know it. I if you had told me even ten years ago that this would be my full time job, I would have laughed at you uh, because you know event management was not a career; it wasn't an industry. You couldn't get a degree in it, and things have changed in that regard quite a bit. But you know, it's something I really enjoy. I am really good at it. I'm not good at math. I'm not good at a lot of things, but this I'm good at. And, you know, it's it's just something that I really enjoy doing. So the fact that I get to do it for a living and I enjoy it and I'm good at it, it just is a win for me. But, um, you know, I just kind of fell into it and then kept showing up. So never thought it would be a career. And sometimes still I look back and can't believe that I'm still getting to do this as on a full-time basis. So I'm very blessed in that regard it's, it's interesting because when i listen to you say that you felt like you were kind of shy around people and not always expressing yourself and then i'm also thinking like well events i'm sure it has a lot to do with working with a lot of people more than you know no, any other type of business and you did the work to put yourself yeah. in that place so that's pretty amazing because a lot of times we default say oh i'm too shy and especially yeah. as females or i'm not good at talking to people so I definitely couldn't do that but oh, yeah. doing the work you show that you can do it and you yeah. can do it successfully till well and at one point believe it or not I mean I was deathly shy you could not pay me to talk to someone and you know over the years working with people and being forced to do that you know I took a lot of public speaking classes I took a lot of communication classes. I was forced to stand up and present and do, and it just, you slowly start to come out of your shell in that regard. And then, you know, again, in the beginning of the business, I mean, I'd come home every day and I'd call my parents and say, I had a meeting with so-and-so and it just, it was awful. And I didn't know what to say. And they asked me for this and I didn't know how to tell them no. And I got nervous and I, you know, gave them whatever they wanted. And now that is not the case. Um, you know, the, the Kaylin that started this business officially in 2013 is not the same Kaylin that has this business now. Um, but, you know, but it's just a process. Sounds like you grow into the leader that you need to be. Absolutely. Being like, oh, I can't be that person. You'll, you'll, if you're intentional about it, you grow into being the kind of leader that you need to be. 
which is uh, pretty amazing. Helen, your, what is your process for the business? Do you begin, because you said you've, you run, you've run with a lot of ideas and they've crashed, and you've run with a lot of ideas too that have become really successful. So what, what really is your process of going with? Do you just go with an idea? Do you go with a business model? Do you begin with a business plan? Like how should a person who's starting out as an entrepreneur start that process? So I have a journal that I keep with me, several journals actually, but um, I keep them with me at all times, no matter where I go. And when an idea pops in my head, I, I put it in the journal, whether it's a new business or an event concept or, you know, an idea for anything, really, it goes in this journal. And then later, I'll take it from that journal and, and it goes into another journal where you start to flesh out the ideas. So if it's an event concept, you know, I start brainstorming names and themes and kind of an agenda and, you know, things that come to my head. You know, typically it takes years for concepts to kind of come to fruition. So some of these ideas in one year, it would go from journal to reality. Some of them I have been sitting on and working on and formatting and reformatting and reformatting for years. And, and some of them may never become a reality. Some of them I've been sitting on and then I'll meet somebody and they're the missing piece. Um, there's a, a new concept that I've been working on and I've had it in my head for five years now. It's a corporate conference and I, I have the name, I have the concept, I have the general overview, but something was missing. And then I met this gentleman a couple months ago and instantly I was like, this is the missing piece. I need you for this concept. So we are now talking about partnering up on this. He brings his expertise. I would bring my expertise in the concept um, and we would partner together on that. So sometimes there's a person or a thing or, you know, you don't have the right venue or you don't have the right product or you don't have the right location or whatever. So continuing to work on it in your head helps me. And then, you know, I go to something, especially for events, I go to an event and I really like something. So I'll write it down. I see a piece of marketing and I really like the graphics or the color or the format or whatever. And I write it down. Once it gets to the point where I'm ready to move forward, then I start kind of flushing out a prospectus. You know, what's a budget? What are our projections? What do we need? If nothing gets paid for, if no, like for an event, if no ticket is purchased, if no sponsor comes on board, if I'm paying for this out of my pocket, how much money do I need to make this the most successful it could be? And then you normally add a miscellaneous contingency charge to that because there's always going to be more money than what you think you need. Um, and then I start figuring out, you know, is this realistic? Can I make this happen? Can I pay for this if no ticket is purchased and no sponsor comes on board? If it's a new company, can I make this work with funds that I have or a bank loan or an investor or whatever, you know, and, and what money do I have available? Do I want to bring on an investor for this concept? Is it worth it for an investor? Is this something I could get a bank loan for? So I start with that. And then once the financing is starting to kind of work itself out, then I start looking at, you know, the marketing, branding, website URLs, logos, names, etc. And after that, it starts to kind of snowball into this big bigger thing, you know, whether that be an event or a new business or whatever. So the initial process takes a long time. Once you get into actually doing 
whatever it is, that part's easy. It's the beginning that's that's hard. Formatting that idea. You know, I have some concepts that I've been sitting on for 18 years where they were when I first put them on the list. They look nothing like that now. They are very different. Uh, and some of them may never come off the page. But some of them, I mean, have been very successful. Some of them have been terrible and we never talk about it. We pretend it didn't happen. So part of being an entrepreneur, sometimes you have to take a leap of faith and it doesn't always work out. It sounds like, um, from what you're saying, it sounds like the process of constantly generating ideas is mm -hmm. very important to always have that going. And also that when you're looking at finances, it sounds like you begin with what is the worst case scenario? Yes. Always. Always. What is the always. worst case um, scenario? And then you go into all the other things like the branding, the logos, and all that. But it's, it's, it's a great way to begin the process. Thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. Um, Kaylin, what has faith meant to you on your journey? You know, it's faith is an interesting thing, and I'm a very spiritual person. Um, I've gone in and out of being actually in the church and, you know, different types of faith and how does that look. I believe everything happens for a reason, and I believe in higher powers. I, I could not have gotten as far as I have without that, you know, and especially being an entrepreneur, sometimes it's very lonely, and so you need to know that there is you know, a higher purpose that is guiding you. Um, because sometimes your family and your friends and everybody else just don't get it. And it's very easy to want to give up. Um, so, you know, I think in, in whatever faith means to someone, whether it's true religion or spirituality or whatever, I think that, that has got to be part of what you're doing in order to keep you level and to keep you going, to be honest, because sometimes with being an entrepreneur and starting businesses and all that, sometimes there is nothing left. You are just so worn out at the end of the day. You know, sometimes the money is gone and your friends are gone, your family, you know, you have nothing left but that. Um, so I think it's extremely important to keep that top of mind. And you have to be true to yourself. You have to be true to your values um, and who you are, a concept or a business or, you know, a product or whatever, it means nothing if you're not your best self propelling it forward. So if you lose sight of who you are and your background and where you came from, um, you know, it, it doesn't lend itself to whatever you're trying to accomplish. So I think keeping that grounding and that footing is very important. Thank you for sharing. I like a quote I saw online where it says, entrepreneurs live by faith and not by sight. I love yeah. that. I felt like that really captured the essence um, of entrepreneurship. Katie, do you have like a book that you could recommend to our listeners, something that you feel like changed the game for you? So I actually just, I, I love reading um, and I could give you 20 books that I absolutely love, but I actually just finished a book called Never Split the Difference. Um, negotiate as if your life depended on it. And it's by this guy who was an FBI hostage negotiator. So he talks about, and it's not just negotiation, it's communication in general. And he talks about how to communicate with people in a way that doesn't feel aggressive, that doesn't feel, um, 
you know, assertive or accusatory. Um, and he brings in some real life experiences that are, to me, were very interesting. Now, part of being an entrepreneur is sales. You know, I don't care what you're producing or creating. You are always selling something. You're selling your business. You're selling your service. You're selling yourself. You're selling your product. You're selling your, your model, whatever it may be. Whether you're trying to get investors or funding, if you're trying to get, you know, a new client, if you're trying to sell things to a larger brand that you want to distribute your product, no matter what type of entrepreneur you are, at some point, you are selling something. So being able to talk to people and to get that, I wish I had had this book 20 years ago because I mean, it really does a great job of teaching and talking about how to get what you want, but how to mutually benefit yourself and the other party, how to do it without sounding aggressive. You know, sometimes when you say no to somebody, it sounds really abrupt and rude. And so they give you some tips on how to say no without really saying no. Sometimes when you're the other side, especially when you're new and you're young, I was terrible about not letting people walk all over me because I didn't know how to say I don't understand, or I can't offer that, or I'm not sure, or what I didn't know how to say that, and I didn't want to say that. Um, so this teaches you how to how to manage that without sounding young, shy, inexperienced, unsure, etc. And to be honest, helps you position yourself a little better. Um, you know, I think the phrase negotiation gets a bad rap, but this book was really great at kind of teaching you those communication tools, which for any entrepreneur you have to have. And I liked the real life stories. They were it was an interesting way to kind of get you to understand the concept of each chapter. So, highly recommend it. Never split the difference is what it's called. Uh, thank you for sharing this with us, Kayleen. Hey, where can people find you? Find me online, kaylinquery.com. Um, LexingtonEventCompany.com is the website for that. Um, and we're all over Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and all of those things. And I'll go anywhere. I love traveling. So once restrictions open back up, I'll come to anybody. Come hang out, come read a book, come do an event, whatever they want. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. And thank you for sharing so candidly. Um, your experience as a small business owner and also sharing with entrepreneurs how to get things done because sometimes you know you can feel like it's only happening to you and yes. that's never true when you hear it from someone else who's more experienced and who's had successes and failures and more successes it absolutely helps someone on their journey so thank you for your time Kayleen yeah absolutely thanks for having me yeah if you got any value out of today's episode please do share it and leave a review let us know how we can serve you better. Check out our website as www.reinventingperspectives.com and connect with us on social media on Instagram and on our Facebook page at Reinventing Perspectives. Also, do check out our latest book, The Christian Entrepreneur's Toolkit. It's available on Amazon.com and also through our website, www.reinventingperspectives.com. Thank you again for taking the time to listen in. Have a great day.